a stranger with a gun came upon two teens taking pictures under a rising full moon. But violence is only the beginning of this story. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are. And this is a big one. I'm Amy Donaldson, and I've spent my career talking about how lives are undone by violence. The Letter is a podcast about how lives are remade. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Get deeper insights on the news from inside sources. As we've been covering throughout the day today, Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank uh, have had their assets seized by federal regulators. Uh, This dizzying run on the bank happened uh, just over the course of the weekend. Of course, uh, President Biden announcing uh, some of the steps taken there to ensure those uh, deposit holders uh, would be made whole. He was also very clear to to uh, point out that the investors would not, that, that was uh, they knew the risk uh, in investing, and that's the way capitalism works. So he was trying to really differentiate that between any kind of bailout scenario. We'll see how that continues to play out. And so we're going to dig in and uh, see how we got to this point, and then more importantly, how do we actually move it all forward. And really pleased to have joining us on the show, Paul Kupiak, a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, where he focuses on regulation of banking and financial markets. And uh, Paul, really pleased to have you joining us today. And uh, as you look at this, uh, first give us a sense and kind of the background. These banks were not your typical uh, local bank. Uh, They were a little specialized. Give us a sense of that first. Yeah, hi, Boyd. Thanks for inviting me on today. So um, the Silicon Valley Bank uh, is a bank, of course, that has a lot to do with venture capital and tech firms and funding. And Their deposits grew enormously uh, since 2020, Um, and a lot of people say a lot of that was due to some of the SPAC uh, issuance that went on. A lot of that money ended up there in the bank. When you got to Signature Bank, uh, Signature Bank uh, had a huge growth spurt uh, because of their servicing of cryptocurrency platforms, so they were a a conduit to to a number of the cryptocurrency trading platforms. sites and uh, grew grew tremendously there. Now, both of these banks had a huge percentage of of their balance sheet funded with uh, uninsured deposits, deposits over $250,000, which is the FDIC insurance limit. So um, they were pretty, they both had specialized business uh, sort of activities. Um, They both grew tremendously in the last few years. And they both were funded with what uh, you know the bankers call hot money, uh, yeah. dep- uninsured deposits. Yeah. And and the you know one of the one of one of the things that makes you scratch your head is is why the regulators weren't all on top of this. I mean, um, as a work for the Federal Reserve Board for you know decade and FDIC for a decade and 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 it's sort of common knowledge in banking that you know one of the one of the signs of a, of a bank that might get itself into trouble is 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 really fast growth and businesses that are concentrated in a in a, you know one area a single area uh and and funding with uh, hot money uh money that's likely to run at the first sign of uh of weakness and so all these all these descriptions fit fit both of these banks and you know, and and the regulators in general, the bank regulators have been very negative on crypto cryptocurrencies and and very negative on the banks having any 
any link uh, to cryptocurrency uh, support, whether dealing with cryptocurrency firms, it's it's been really uh, frowned upon. So it's kind of you kind of got to scratch your head here about why people weren't watching these things a lot more closely than they they seem to have been watching. Yeah, and so I want to get to, to two parts of that. Uh, one. Uh, it, it seems to me that it wasn't necessarily that there weren't regulations in place or that the regulators didn't have authority to, to check on some of these things. Uh, and we'll talk about the battle of more regulation versus less. But it seems to me that this really wasn't a more or less. It was more of an attention thing. Yeah, it seems like they were pretty much asleep on the job. Um, it's even more ironic in that the the CEO of the Silicon Valley Bank was on the board of directors of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank, and Barney Frank was on the board of directors of Signature Bank, the Barney Frank of the Dodd-Frank Act, the co-author of the Dodd-Frank Act. So um, you had two senior officials for both banks, very influential in, in you know, on, on regula- in the regulatory community. So, you know, maybe that played into it. Maybe maybe they uh, didn't pay so much attention. Uh, I don't know. It, 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 it does make you shake your head since interest rate, I mean, one of the uh, maturity mismatches and uh, where, where you fund long maturity assets with money that can run very quickly and interest rate mismatches, which is what the Silicon Bank had, had in spades, I mean, these are these are basic uh, basic things bank examiners are supposed to be looking at all the time, yeah. and um, and uh, you know feeding into their ratings of banks and and the kind of things they tell board of directors to fix. So it's it's really kind of basic banking that they missed. Yeah, fascinating. And then uh, I also want to hit one other point that you have uh, that you have pointed out today, uh, and that is that part of the challenge came from the fact that the Federal Reserve has continued to have these uh, hikes of interest rates uh, also put some of this pressure on here. Explain that for us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent. It was senseless. And I will never understand it. I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, um, well, banks had a huge inflow uh, of deposit money, you know, in the past, since since the COVID crisis, and even before with all the quantitative easing the Fed has been doing. And with the inflow of deposits, banks have to do something with the deposits. If the banks don't invest deposits and make any money on them, they actually lose money. They have to pay deposit insurance premiums on deposits. So that that costs them, you know, somewhere upwards of 20 basis points, could be more than that. And so they have to put deposits to work. Uh, If there's no loan demand, they have to buy securities of some sort. And and the only securities that really offered any yield, and, and it depends on, you know, who you talk to, 
people on many of the the shows on 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 the tube today will say well they took a lot of interest rate risk they were they were gambling for yield well they they did need yield but even even there wasn't a lot of yield in treasuries or mortgage backed securities i mean i think mm. their mortgage backed securities and treasuries at these banks probably don't you know earn much more than 3% it's not like they were taking super risky assets these are assets that have very low capital requirement risk weights treasuries are zero agency securities 20% i mean these are these are things that the regulations uh identify as very safe assets okay but they were long term assets and when you fund long term assets with money that can run if interest rates go up the market value of those assets falls and you cannot sell them or borrow against them at the full value so you end up short if you need to use these assets as collateral at the Federal Reserve Bank or the uh, Federal Home Loan Bank to liquefy them quickly to meet depositor withdrawals. They're not worth what what what, what they say on your balance sheet. Uh, yeah. They don't have to be marked to market. They were held to maturity portfolio, and so they didn't have the uh, the liquidity capacity to meet withdrawals and and had to be shut down. Um, what what the new uh, the, the new one of the new things the uh, administration has done is introduced this special lending facility. At the Federal Reserve, the Treasury is going to put up $25 billion to take any losses that the, this might generate for the Fed. But the Fed's going to lend banks uh, 100% par value on their Treasury and mortgage-backed securities when the true market value of these things is actually less than the par value because interest rates have risen uh, you know, far higher than what these securities pay. So yeah. this is part of the, the bailout. It's, it's supposed to stem contagion uh, amongst the other regional banks because these banks could uh could liquefy their held to maturity securities at 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 full value with the fed under this new new program and and that should help but it but it is a bailout yeah. um it, it it is offsetting the the damage the rate hikes have done on bank balance sheets yeah uh that is the best analysis we have heard all day long today Paul Kuviak senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute where he focuses on regulation of banking and financial markets. Paul, we appreciate you joining us. That really is of all the analysis we've been digging through today. uh, That is the best summary of where we are and where we need to go next. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you, Boyd, for inviting me. Have a good day. All right. Again, that's Paul Kupiak from American Enterprise Institute. You're going to want to go back and listen to that on the podcast. That is great analysis of where we are and what comes next. Stick around. More inside sources coming on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story, the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.